This morning, I want to continue to speak on the series we've been speaking about, about God's holiness. And today, I want to talk about um, the concept, and I want to talk about the principle, and I want to talk about the freedom of holiness. The title that I put on today's message is Legalism Kills and Holiness Thrills. Legalism Kills and Holiness Thrills. We've been speaking on various forms of holiness over the past number of weeks. But I want to continue to remind us what holiness really is. Holiness is not a boring life. Holiness is not something that we is mundane and is something that uh, is to be avoided. Holiness is something that we should anticipate as joy and as pleasure and as uh, a real blessing in our life because holiness brings a freedom to us that nothing else can bring. Holy, a holy life is a happy life, a life of freedom from all forms of guilt and shame. It's a life that gives peace, assurance of purpose, fulfillment without any loss of excitement and enjoyment in this life and then looking forward to an eternity beyond our imagination. I mean, there is nothing in this world that can even begin to compete with a holy life. And I know that's contrary to our belief, to the flesh, Because the flesh would say, no, Mike, you're talking about something that's totally contrary. Because the flesh man rises up and says, no, I can't can't be holy and I don't want to be holy because there's nothing fun in holiness. I want fun in life. I want to be able to do the things that I want to do. I have fun in the things that I want to do. Well, I challenge that greatly. Because when I do the things that I want to do, I have quite often the regrets of the things that I've done. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, but when I live a holy life, I live a life of goodness and a life of happiness and a life that is free from guilt and a life that's free from shame. I've been speaking a little bit from a book written by Dr. Michael Brown, and the title of the book is Go and Sin No More. And he cites some of the Puritan preachers in their concept of holiness. And George Swinock says... There is a beauty in holiness as well as a beauty of holiness. Joseph Carl says, Perfect holiness is the aim of the saints on earth, and it is the reward of the saints in heaven. John Whitlock says, The Christian's way is holiness and his end, happiness. Anybody know Oswald Chambers? Everybody read, anyone ever, anyone ever read his devotional, My Utmost for His Highest? He says this about holiness. He says, God has one destined end for mankind, holiness. His aim is the production of saints. God is not an eternal blessing machine for men. He did not come to save men out of pity. He came to save men because he had created them to be Holy. Holiness is something that we should be longing for. It should be something that should just exude from us as Christian people. But yet, according to Michael Brown, the author of this book, he says that many Christians don't see holiness this way. He says, wrong. He says, there are plenty of believers who recoil at holiness teaching, finding it unscriptural and contrary to the gospel. How can this be? When you think of the word holy, what comes to your mind? 
for many people, they don't want to be challenged and shaken out of their comfort zone. They don't want to read and believe the scripture where Jesus says that we are to take up our cross and to deny our own wills on a daily basis. They don't want to be confronted with the high standards of God. They would rather live in the snug and the smug realities in their mind of self-justification. So even though holiness is such a grand thing and such a good thing for us to be um, aiming towards, many believing Christians or professing Christians struggle with the concept of being holy. But they are quite often rebellious. In fact, they're not quite often. They are rebellious, like the Israelites were, as we read in Isaiah chapter 30, 30 verses 9 through 11. Isaiah, he's referring to the Israelite people that had been in the desert after God had saved them and delivered them from Egypt. He says, For these are rebellious people, deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. They say to the seers, See no more visions. And to the prophets, Give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. Leave this way. Get off this path and stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. These are the people that God delivered from Egypt a few years in the desert and they're rebelling against God after his great salvation. I like the way the Living Bible Translation says it in more English that we can maybe understand it. It says, For they are stubborn rebels. They tell my prophets, Shut up. (laughs) We don't want any more of your reports. Or they say, Don't tell us the truth. Tell us nice things. Tell us lies. Forget all this gloom. We've heard more than enough about your Holy One of Israel and all he says. Wow. Now fast forward to today. Does this sound at all to what's being said by some of the people in today's world? Let's read 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul writes this to Timothy. And the thing that I like about 2 Timothy is because this is Paul's last letter before he's martyred. So if Paul is going to say anything of importance, he's going to say it now in his last letter. He says, And so I solemnly urge you before God and before Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he appears to set up his kingdom, to preach the word of God urgently at all times, whenever you get the chance, in season and out, when it is convenient and when it is not. Correct and rebuke your people when they need it. Encourage them to do right and all the time be feeding them patiently with God's word. This is the key key verse. For there is going to come a time when people won't listen to the truth, but will go around looking for teachers who will tell them just what they want to hear. They won't listen to what the Bible says, but will blithely follow their own misguided ideas. Are people any different? The Israelites 4,000 years ago We're saying the same thing as what people are saying today. And they're going to keep saying it the closer we get to the end time. They're going to keep saying it more and more. I don't want to hear about it anymore, they'll say. I'm tired of hearing your words. I'm tired of hearing your warnings. I'm tired of hearing preachers talk, tell me that I'm a sinner. I'm tired of hearing anybody tell me or challenge me with holiness. Why is that? Because it's our flesh rising up. It's the Satan, it's the, it's the deceiver of this world rising up inside, trying to keep everybody he, that he can away from the goodness of the Father. That's not the Holy Spirit speaking to you. It's an evil spirit speaking to you. If that's what's going through your mind, if it has ever gone through your mind, recognize it's not the Holy Spirit speaking to you that way. 
It's an evil spirit. Men were created to be holy. God created man to be holy at the beginning and for all eternity. When Adam and Eve were created, they were created holy beings, that they could be in the presence of God. But we know what happened. Sin came into the world, and we had this broken relationship called sin, and all of a sudden now there is no more relationship. Thank the Lord that he had a plan for that, that he didn't just leave us on our own at that point in time because he very well could have. He could have said, oh, I'm going to be a deist, right, Jim? A deist is a God that created, but then he leaves and he doesn't get involved with, the, with humanity's efforts. Thank the Lord that he's a theist, meaning that he is a God that created, but he's also a God that cares. And he cares about you and I today enough that he sent Jesus to be our Savior. Jesus came as, our, as a baby. He came as a child of, of man. At the same time, he was fully God at the same time. And again, we can't quite grasp that fact, but he came to save us. Saving grace is the power of the unearned and undeserved mercy of God that chooses to save us when we were unsavable in ourselves. We were sinners. We were ugly. We were not at all attractive to God, but yet God still loved us. It's the love of God that saved us through that grace as we trust in Jesus to take our sins and wash them in the blood of Christ. That's the grace that gives us a positional holiness, that at that moment of salvation, you are holy before the righteous God. At that moment of salvation, you are holy, and you are on your way to heaven. If you died at that moment, you're going to heaven, not because you were good in yourself, but because Jesus' blood covers your sin, and he removes it as far as the east is from the west, and you no longer, and he will no longer bring it up to you. That is positional holiness. And that is the saving grace. But understand it doesn't stop there. So many people leave grace there in that saving grace position. And they say, okay, now that I'm saved, now what? Because God loved me and accepted me as a sinner, that grace has to continue then to change and grow with us as we grow and change in life. It's not a one-time one-time-done-all type of a salvation. It is a saving, progressive grace. God knows the needs of man better than we do. Thank the Lord for that. He knew that there was no way that we as a man could live a holy life. There's no way that I can live holy on my own. The enemy and the flesh are way too powerful for any man to overcome that on their own. We need God's grace to do more than simply save us. We need God's grace to empower us to live above sin, to live above the temptations that come our way. That's called empowering grace, and that comes to us through the power of the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to live a lifestyle of increasing holiness an increasing desire to live according to God's high standards. We don't bring God's standards down to our level where we, can, where we can achieve them. We have to achieve God's high standards. But how do we do that? We can't do that on our own. I can't do that because I will myself to do that. I must have the grace of God in my life, the empowering grace. Grace is the ability 
to complete my salvation, not only on the day of my salvation, but to go with me throughout all of my life and to continue to grow in grace, grow in power, grow in authority to take dominion over the devil and all of his temptations that would come to me. That's the grace that we need to have that would continue to give us the ability to overcome. Without the power of grace, that supernatural ability to say no to what God says no to, and to say yes to what God says yes to, if I don't have that supernatural empowering grace, I will be a frustrated, legalistic Christian. And I'll be a person that will be miserable because I don't have the grace of God in me. I have the religion in me, but not the grace. And that's what I want to talk about today, that legalism is deadly. Legalism does not save a man or a woman. God's grace saves us through that empowering grace. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, make every effort to live in peace and with everyone and to be what? To be holy. Without what? Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. There is a very direct command from the Lord that we must be holy. As we live holy lives over and beyond our moment of salvation, we have a thing called behavioral holiness that comes in now. We're positionally holy at salvation. Moment of salvation, I'm positionally holy before the Lord because he has made me holy. Now I live a life thereafter called behavioral holiness. They're my choices. I have to choose every day. I have choices that come my way every day to choose to be holy or not to be holy. And it's by the grace of God, that empowering grace that God gives me, that I can make the right choices, that I can live a holy life. And now I am behaviorally holy before the Lord, as well as positionally holy. And that is not in any way of me working for my salvation. I want you to make sure you understand that. We are not working to be saved. We're saved by God's grace, and then through God's empowering grace, we can stay holy before him because it's our choice to be holy before him because we love him so much. There's so much there that can be confusing to people, I believe. I don't want to confuse anyone because we must be holy. We must have a holy nature in us. And the devil has his strategy all set, all ready to go. As soon as you accept Jesus as your life, as your Savior, the devil already has an established strategy to come to you to try to make you be holy on your own. He wants to try to make you, he wants to try to convince you now, okay, now you have to change yourself. Now, I will say, there will be changes to be made, but I don't think you necessarily can change them on your own. You need the power of God's grace. You need to rely on who he is in you. The reality is that as a man, I cannot live a holy life pleasing to God on my own. I need the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to lead and guide and empower me. And this is where the devil shows up in the area of our striving on our own. And this quickly can turn into a mindset of legalistic thinking versus a Holy Spirit-led set of convictions. Oh, this is really important to grasp this because this is where we need to understand the dangers of a legalistic mindset trying to be holy on our own without the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. 
And if I do that, if I try to live that way, I will be very frustrated and I will be unattractive to the world, let alone unattractive to myself. Legalism embraces part of the truth of holiness as being set apart from the worldliness and the uncleanliness of sin. It, change, it calls us to a change in our attitudes, no question about it. But legalism fails miserably to understand that the essence of holiness comes from within, not from without. So what's the source of holiness? What is the source of holiness? If you have your little paper here, you have to fill in some blanks. The source of holiness in a person comes as a result of having a true relationship with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's all based on love. I'll say that again so we understand it. The source of holiness in a person comes as a result of having a true relationship. And I should have made that capital letters because that's, that's the primary focus of it all is relationship. It's relationship with Jesus through the, through the power of the Holy Spirit based on love. It's very simple. Love doesn't want to hurt love. If you truly love somebody, you don't intentionally hurt somebody. And I don't want to hurt my relationship with Jesus because my relationship with him is based on love. It's true relationship. What's the source of legalism? The source of legalism stems from a person having religion with no relationship with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Religion, can I just say this without being heretical? heretical? I am not a religious person. In fact, I will say, I'm probably more religious about my golf game because I can be religious all I want about God and it won't save me. Religion doesn't save a person. And I'm not saying that it's not bad to have a, a, a mindset, but don't let religion think that it's going to save you because it's not. Just coming to church and just reading your Bible and just maybe praying before your meal or praying before you go to bed at night um, without relationship doesn't save you. Religious duties are emphasized more than a relationship with the Holy Spirit that draws us into the Father's love. The religious duties are, are the, the motivation of a legalist. Because I have that religious duty in my mind. I have, I have to do this per certain thing. Legalism never brings the joy of the Lord in a person's life. Rather, it brings the guilt and the shame of being a failure and not be able, being able to live up to God's standards. Legalism is deadly. You see the difference? Legalism is the way to become holy to be accepted by God. And so we work hard on our own part to be holy. We, we're, trying to, we're trying to be worthy on our own or we're trying to self-justify ourselves. But holy conviction on the other side comes from, comes from inside the person that is being changed by the very presence of the holiness of God. And the high standards of God's word become a joy to live because the Holy Spirit is doing the work in us. And it wants, me to make me, it wants me to want to grow more in love with Jesus every day. My relationship is the key here. Legalism kills the joy in a person where Holy Spirit conviction 
brings the joy into serving and living for God. Legalism kills joy. Holy conviction brings joy because I'm doing it because I love him so much. Not as a way to earn his love. Really important that we grasp that. You see, when I was a kid growing up in this church, actually, not this building and the one on East Upright, I grew up in the Assemblies of God Church, and I grew up, and I will be very honest with you, I know legalism very well because I can speak from legalism as an expert because I grew up in a legalistic mindset. Anybody with me here? Anybody grew up in that holiness-based traditions where we just did things because we were told to do things? And if we, as long as we did those things, or at least we said we did those things, we were okay. And, and what people would ask me as a kid growing up, well, what's, you know, what does your church believe in? Well, we don't smoke, we don't drink, we don't go to dances, we don't chew, we don't go to movies, and we don't do all these things. And they would say, okay, well, what do you believe in? I said, I just told you. We were, we were more on the don'ts than the do's. And that didn't bring any salvation to me. In fact, what it brought is it brought a rebellious spirit in me because I wasn't, really, I wasn't educated on why I don't do some of the things that God says no to. God does have some things he says no to. Do you know that? But it's important that we understand why he says, the things no, that he says no to some things. I mean, it, some things just make common sense. It, it says, no, I, I shouldn't go to a movie or watching TV that has nudity in it, right? It doesn't mean that I can't go see a nature movie or a, a nice TV. And there's some really good shows out there. That's fine. Or it doesn't, you know, it, there's make, it makes sense of I shouldn't dance with another man's wife. Why? Well, we know why. Because of all the sexual issues going on in today's world. If I want to dance with my wife, fine. Go right ahead. Dance. I will dance with you. No, you don't dance with my wife. I'll dance with my wife. <laughs> I'll dance with my wife. You dance with your wife. And we'll be happy. Okay? And, and keep it ballroom dancing. <laughs> Let's not do some of that grinding stuff. We don't want to go to, anyway. Let's keep going here. But legalism kills the joy. Holy conviction brings the joy because it, 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 it frees me to really believe and understand what God is asking me to do for my own benefit. It's for my own good that Jesus says no to some things. And my own good that he says, yes, do those things. It's for my benefit. I need to understand that because there are consequences that come with our actions. Amen? There are consequences that come with actions. The story was told um, by a man. I heard this. It says, two farmers had a talk about Christianity. One of them said to his friend, I hear you're a Christian. That's right, the other replied. Well, what does it mean to be a Christian? The curious farmer asked. Well, came the reply, I don't drink, smoke, or run around with women. In that case, the friend replied, my mule must be a Christian too, because my mule doesn't drink, smoke, or run around with women. So if that's what legalism, if, if that's what Christianity is to a legalist person, then I can see that it's not very attractive to the world because there's a bunch of silly rules that take all the fun out of life. And why would I want to be a Christian if that's all it was? There's nothing attractive about a legalistic person. But I can also tell you that there's a battle there because once a legalist, can I say, the temptation is to always be a legalist? It's hard to break out of that mold, I will tell you. It's hard for me to allow the grace of God sometime to just overwhelm me and say, Mike, I love you as you are. 
I, I don't want you to stay that way, but I love you regardless. The legalist has a hard time accepting the grace of God. And when you're brought up that way, it's hard to break it sometimes. It requires a real work of the Holy Spirit to allow in us the love of God to permeate us and just to let him tell you that he loves you. He really loves you the way you are. Then let him change you to be what he wants you to be. That's the freedom that comes from holiness. You may not look like me, and I may not look like you, but as long as you look like Jesus, that's all that matters. I'm sure Jesus was not made in my image. I will tell you that right now. So you don't have to look like me, and I will free you from having to look like me but I'm going to hold you to the standard to look like Jesus, whatever that looks like in your life. That's the standard. We obey God not to earn his love, but rather as an expression of our love, we obey him. Now, the danger here of the person that's been a legalist, you can either land in that balance of understanding God's grace and his love, or you can either fall off into the world of being a libertarian. And many have fallen into the world of being a libertarian. That's the problem. For many that have come out of a legalistic upbringing, if they don't come to the understanding of the Holy Spirit, as I just described, that quite often they, what they'll find themselves doing is they'll fall into error of saying, well, then if I can't do it, then God's grace says he's going to forgive me because I live now in an era of grace that I can do anything I want to do. So if legalism is wrong, then must be liberty, liberty is right, that I can do whatever I want to do without any consequences. Michael Brown says it this way in his book. He says, he says um, unfortunately, he says, many believers who flee from the clutches of legalism, especially when they never seemed to measure up to legalism's demands, fall right into the grasp of free-thinking libertarianism where now almost anything goes. They have cast off all restrictive rules and oppressive regulations, and in the name of liberty, they have opened the door to license. While legalism is deadly, license is damnable. It could be said that legalism slays its thousands. Liberter libert um, libertarianism, I say it one time and I can get it, slays its tens of thousands. Biblical commandments are brought down to the level of this Christian's own experience and anything that brings any kind of spiritual pressure to bear on this previously discouraged believer is rejected as not being the easy yoke and light burden of Jesus. You know what that means? Can you, can you get the flavor of what he's trying to say there? The overreaction of the legalist to convert to the man of liberty is damnable, damnable because they are now abusing the grace of God. Whereas the legalist may have not the joy of the Lord, the person that lives in liberty says, I can do whatever I want to do, is stretching the boundaries of God's grace. And here's a verse that I want to read to you, or I want to read together, that we don't typically talk a lot about in church. And this is not a very popular verse, but it's one that shows the seriousness of what it means to take liberty and abuse the grace of God. Hebrews chapter 10, 
beginning of verse 26. If anyone sins deliberately, and we'll come back to that big word, if anyone sins deliberately by rejecting the Savior after knowing the truth of forgiveness, this sin is not covered by Christ's death. There is no way to get rid of it. There will be nothing to look forward to but the terrible punishment of God's awful anger, which will consume all his enemies. A man who refused to obey the laws given by Moses was killed without mercy if there were two or three witnesses to his sin. Think how much more terrible the punishment will be for those who have trampled underfoot the Son of God and treated his cleansing blood as though it were common and unhallowed and insulted and outraged the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to his people. For we know him who said, Justice belongs to me. I will repay them, who also said, The Lord himself will handle these cases. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. This is the serious nature of the libertarian who abuses the grace of God by saying, okay, I can do whatever I want because God's grace covers my sin. The legalist may be unattractive to other people, yet at least he struggled to live a life that was pleasing. He might have been without the experience of God's love, and he might have missed God's joy and peace, but at least he didn't go to the point of damning his soul through misunderstanding and missing out on what it really means to experience the grace of God and the empowering power of God's grace. You see, did you, under, did you grasp that verse? If anyone sins deliberately, we're going to sin, folks. I'm, this is not saying that you're going to be perfect. We're going to make mistakes. I get that. And God gets that. The Holy Spirit gets that. I mean, that's, not, that's, that's obvious. But for the person that deliberately rejects the Savior, I mean, that says, I know better, but I'm going to do it anyways. At that point in time, you are really getting on thin ice. Because when you know better and you do it anyways, you are trampling Jesus. You're saying that your sacrifice doesn't mean anything anymore to me because I'm going to do it anyways and I'm going to ask you later to forgive me. That's kind of like premeditated murder. Right? And it's dangerous. It's dangerous to live that way. So if you know better, the challenge for us is to live better. I'm going to go to another reading from Michael Brown. He says, he says, what's even worse is the fact that many preachers and teachers who glory in the grace of God often do so at the expense of the Bible's clear call to holy living, helping to push the legalistic, rejecting, libertarian Christian further and further away from discipline, meaning that no one is going to tie me up again, or conviction, you're not going to condemn me anymore, and biblical standards, who are you to tell me what to do? See, I will say that it's easier to preach a message to say, you're all good and God loves you, let's go home, than it is to say, you know what, there's some work that needs to be done in our lives. God's standards are high standards and we need to live according to them because that's what the Bible says. And the reason I'm using Michael Brown so much here is because I don't want you to think that I'm making this up. There are other men that believe this the Bible, the way we believe the Bible. And I want you to know that there are other good, godly men that believe the same way. So it's just not me trying to make it up to try to make it hard on people. It's not at all it is. That's not it at all. It's because we love you enough that we want to say the truth so that we can live holy lives and we can have that day where we're going to see Jesus and he's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful. 
That's what it's all about. Legalism is man-centered. Holiness is God-centered. Legalism says, I will do this so that I can earn my relationship with God. I'm going to live what I'm going to do. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say yes because I'm going to earn my way to God. That's what legalism says. License says, I can do whatever I want because God loves me. God loves me so much, he's not going to send me to hell because God loves me. That's true. God does love you. Holiness says, I will do this because, there's that word again, because my relationship with Jesus is based on love and my, de- and my desire is, it for, is for it to grow stronger in me. Holiness says, I love the Lord because he first loved me. And I want to do everything I can to make sure that that love, I'm going to protect it. I'm going to go to every means that I can. I'm, I'm going to go to the, to, the, to the end of the world if I have to, to protect that love. I'm not going to do anything in here that would take away from the love of Jesus because I don't want to hurt him because I love him because he loved me first. We have this love relationship, and it's really powerful. Oswald Chambers, one more time, says, The only liberty a saint has is the liberty not to use his liberty. (laughs) All right? The only liberty a saint has is the liberty not to use his liberty. Liberty means ability not to violate the law. License means personal insistence on doing what I like. To be free from the law means that I am the living law of God. There is no independence of God in my makeup. What that's saying, to be free from the law, means that I am the living law, that God has impregnated me, that the Holy Spirit lives in me, that I am no different than the Holy Spirit, and I don't want to do anything that would break me apart from the Holy Spirit. That's just because who I am. And it becomes a process of living of holiness. It's it's a lifestyle now. It's not just what I put on. It's a lifestyle. License is rebellion against all law. If my heart does not become the center of divine love, it may become the center of diabolical license. There is really more to say, but I'm going to stop right here today. Jackie, would you come, please? I'm trying to do whatever I can to teach and educate, at the same time encourage and preach that God does love us, that you are loved, and that his love for us goes beyond any feeling that you and I would have. I don't want to hurt anyone with hard words. I don't want to hurt anyone with hard teaching. But I want to be very clear that we are encouraging all of us here, myself included, that we would constantly search our heart, constantly examine ourselves and ask, are we truly living a life of holiness? Is that my desire? Are we keeping our relationship pure? Or do we find the the lure of the world sneaking in the back door? When when I'm all by myself and I have my thinking time, when I can daydream and I can do the things that I want to think about, where am I at? Where does my mind go? I want to encourage us this morning that we would put away the legalistic nature and put on the love of God and let his love just permeate us to the point that we don't want to do the things that would hurt that love. Let's just pray. Father, Lord Jesus, I just come to you in Jesus' name. 
And Lord, we just come to you and we look at things like this and we think, how in the world can I do it? And Lord, that's exactly where you want us to be. Because now we just have to fall on your grace. We need to fall on, on back on you and say, we just need you, Holy Spirit, to fill us. To fill us with your love and to fill us with your empowering grace that you would give us the strength to say no and the grace and the power to say yes to those things that you say no and yes to. So, Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit's conviction would work in our life right now. Lord, if there's something in me today that is unpleasing to you, Lord, I just want to, I want to make it right. I don't want to leave this building today if there's sin in my life. If there's anything in you this morning that is unpleasing to the Lord, this is the time to take care of it. If the Holy Spirit is just prodding you with something, if he's saying, I need you to take care of something, this is the day and this is the time to do it. So this morning, while all eyes are closed and everybody's praying and, and searching your heart this morning, I want to just ask you, have you done that today? Have you taken your responsibility seriously for your own life? And this morning, if there's something in you that says, I need to get my heart right with the Lord, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. I see those hands. I see them. That's what it's all about. Be honest before the Lord this morning. It doesn't mean that you are a filthy sinner because you raise your hand. It means you're honest with yourself. It means that you see yourself for what you really are. And yes, we're redeemed. I get that. But at the same time, we, we make mistakes. And we need to come to the Lord on a repeated basis and say, Father, I surrender to you again today. So, Father, for those that raised their hands this morning, along with me, I just say thank you for your conviction. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading me and bringing me into this place where I'm still hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. I'm still hearing you convict. I'm still hearing you encourage me to, to, to make some things right. And I thank you for that. Lord, now I'm asking you to forgive me this morning. And forgive all those this morning that raised their hand and help them be, to be praying this prayer the way they could say it in their own heart, in their own mind, that we would just say, Father, forgive us. Help us not to take license. Help us not to trample the grace of God any longer. And we just give you thanks. And we give you praise. And we worship you. And we have joy in our heart as a result of your forgiveness. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, would you stand with me this morning? Let's sing the song that Jackie's playing. And let's just uh, celebrate this morning. And if you want to come up to the altar, the, the prayers, the altar is open just to pray. I'll be here to pray with you if you need. Let's just sing in Jesus' name. To the river I am going Bringing sins I cannot bear Come and cleanse me Come forgive me Lord I need to meet you
thank you for calling us again Lord and that your call is constantly before us that you will continually lead us to that river that river of forgiveness that river Lord of acceptance that river Father of holiness Lord and I pray that as we go to our homes this week that we would just constantly live there Lord that it would become so much of who we are Lord that it's not a difficult thing for us to do. It is a joy to live holy before you. That's the prayer, Father. That's the prayer that we would really see that to be who we are. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for living in us. And thank you for your empowering grace and conviction to be with us as we walk before you today, holy and pleasing. And we thank you for all of your mercy. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed today as you go. Remember, God loves you and he wants to work a mighty work in your life. In Jesus' name.